following is an abridged testimony from John Piper about his experience with the Lord. Early morning, March 19th, 2007, God actually spoke to me. There's no doubt that it was God. I heard the words in my head just as clearly as when a memory of a conversation passes across your consciousness. I couldn't sleep for some reason. It was about 5.30 in the morning. In his mercy, God moved me out of bed. No one else seemed to be up. So I sat down on a couch in the corner to pray. As I prayed and mused, suddenly it happened. God said, come and see what I have done. There was not the slightest doubt in my mind that these were the very words of God. In this moment, at this very place in the 21st century, 2007, God was speaking to me with absolute authority and self-evidencing reality. I paused to let this sink in. There was a sweetness about it. Time seemed to matter little. God was near. I wondered what he meant by, come and see. Would he take me somewhere? Like he did Paul into heaven to see what can't be spoken? Did see mean that I would have a vision of some great deed of God that no one has seen? I'm not sure how much time elapsed between God's initial word, come and see what I have done, and his next words. It doesn't matter. I was being enveloped in the love of his personal communication. The God of the universe was speaking to me. And then he said, as clearly as any words have ever come into my mind, I am awesome in my deeds toward the children of man. And my heart leaped up. Yes, Lord, you are awesome in your deeds. Yes, to all men, whether they see it or not. Yes, now what will you show me? The words came again, just as clear as before, but increasingly specific. I turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the river on foot. And there they rejoiced in me, who rules by my might forever. Suddenly I realized God was taking me back several thousand years to the time when he dried up the Red Sea and the Jordan River. These were the awesome deeds he was referring to, and there settled over me a wonderful reverence. This was a holy moment and a holy corner of the world in northern Minnesota. God Almighty had come down and was giving me the stillness and the openness and the willingness to hear his very voice. As I marveled at his power to dry up the sea and the river, he spoke again. I keep watch over the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. This was breathtaking and it was very serious. It was almost a rebuke, at least a warning. He may as well have taken me by the collar of the shirt, lifted me off the ground with one hand and said, with an incomparable mixture of fierceness and love, never, never, never exalt yourself. Never rebel against me. Think of it. Marvel at this. Stand in awe of this. The God who keeps watch over the nations like some people keep watch over cattle or stock markets or construction sites. 
This God still speaks in the 21st century. I heard his very words. He spoke personally to me. And what effect did this have on me? It filled me with a fresh sense of God's reality. It assured me more deeply that he acts in history and in our time. It strengthened my faith that he is for me and cares about me and will use his global power to watch over me. Why else would he come and tell me these things? What effect did this have on me? It has increased my love for the Bible as God's very word. Because it was through the Bible that I heard these divine words. And through the Bible that I have experiences like this almost every day. The very God of the universe speaks on every page into my mind and your mind. We hear his very words. Oh, how precious is the Bible. It is the very word of God. In it, God speaks in the 21st century. This is the very voice of God. By this voice, he speaks with absolute truth and personal force. By this voice, he reveals his all-surpassing beauty. By this voice, he reveals the deepest secrets of our hearts. No voice anywhere, any time can reach as deep or lift as high or carry as far as the voice of God that we hear in the Bible. Let us pray. Father, as we are going to talk about, you know we are powerless to hear from you. We're even powerless to hear from your Bible unless you open our ears and open our eyes. Please, Lord. Nourish and feed and protect your church. I stand before you, Lord, saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Be merciful to me in my weakness. And, Lord, allow me, Lord, to be used by you to bless your people. I also stand before you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and call out to you, Abba, Father, as a son, saying, Father, be, be gracious to your child be gracious to all of your children in this room. Be gracious to those who may not be your children in this room. Be gracious. Be gracious. Be gracious. For your glory and in Jesus' name, I boldly beg. Amen. We're on week three of our series on the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're talking about experiencing the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Last week we talked about experiencing the Holy Spirit through the Gospel of Grace which is the chief pinnacle of the word of God. But as we looked at the book of Galatians last week, we saw how important it is to hold on to the truth of the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ by faith alone. If we're to keep our relationship with the Holy Spirit vibrant, we saw then that the Holy Spirit actually leads us with desires. He places in our hearts that war against our sinful desires. And that the Spirit leads through desires that incline our hearts towards His fruit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And as we hold on to the truth of our free forgiveness and our righteousness in Jesus Christ, we long through the Spirit to be loving, to be kind, to be patient, to be gentle, to be self-controlled people. And so the Spirit leads us into these fruits 
through the desires that he desires in us and through us, which are also our desires as we're in union with him. And now today we're going to speak about how God's spirit communicates with us through the word of God and how through the word of God we experience his presence and power and how he focuses and helps and nourishes the desires that his spirit gives us. And to do this, I want to speak about several truths today and just line up them one, two, three, and then we'll, we'll spend a lot of time in the last one and we'll, then we'll take a look at some quick applications at the end. But I want to just go back to essentially elementary school. I know for a lot of you guys it's going to be like, I know that. But as you guys know and I know, it's not, it's not often new truth that we need. It's old truth that we need made fresh again to us. So, so bear with me as we review a few things. Number one, the words of Scripture are the Holy Spirit talking. The words of Scripture are the Holy Spirit talking. That was Piper's whole point, right? All of Scripture, 2 Timothy says, is breathed out by God. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God testifies that it is the Word of God. Paul says here, it is breathed out. And that Greek word for breathe is related to the Greek word pneuma, which is the word for spirit. We might say the word of God was spirited out onto the paper, onto the scroll by the Holy Spirit himself. And that's exactly what we see more explicitly in 1 Peter 2, 20 through 21. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But what would a good would it do for us if the Holy Spirit speaks and we can't hear? It's a miracle to have God speak through people. And have his very words written down on parchment and scroll and watched over by him for centuries. But what good does it do if no one can hear? And so, number two, another miracle. Only through the indwelling Holy Spirit are we able to understand the treasure of God's word. Look at me with 1 Corinthians 2. For who knows a person's thoughts... I think you're, you're farther along than we should be. Can you go back? There you go. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except by the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person understands the things of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. Paul explained to the Corinthians the infinite preciousness of God's wisdom, especially through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Above all other so-called wisdoms that compete against the gospel in the world. 
And what he's saying is that before we have the Holy Spirit, we can neither understand nor truly value. And those things go together. To truly understand the gospel is to truly value it. But that he gives us a mind to both understand it and value it for ourselves as precious. Many people can understand the idea intellectually of Christ's atoning sacrifice. But it's only the Holy Spirit who can both give understanding to it and also cause it to be precious to us. Cause us to really understand it, which means really valuing it, really treasuring it. Only the Holy Spirit does this. And he does this for all of God's word. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to hear God speak his words in such a way that we understand their meaning and treasure them for us personally. This is the power and the glory and the might of the Holy Spirit. He breaks hardened hearts and turns them into flesh. He unstops clogged ears so they can hear. He removes blinders from people's eyes so they can really see. This is what the Holy Spirit does. But even this ability isn't merely a one-time gift that we can take and then run forever as if we had an unlimited gas tank and we just needed one fill-up for the rest of our Christian lives. Because even as Christians, we need to call out for the Holy Spirit to continue to empower us to understand God's word. A wonderful example of this is in Ephesians 1. Paul's writing to converted, born-again Christians in Ephesians 1. He is telling the most glorious, precious, amazing truths of what God has done for them in the gospel. He's unpacking the whole thing for them in detail and in beautiful, instructive text. And he stops at least a couple of times in the middle of what he's writing. And he says, oh God, please give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the knowledge of you. Help them to see your great power. The great inheritance we have through Jesus. I've read that for years and just thought, okay, he's saying some stuff in the Bible. And then he's praying over here for some other stuff. No, it it occurred to me just in the last couple years. Paul is literally, he's teaching and then stopping and praying about what he's taught them. Because he knows that we're powerless To hear from God unless God acts on us to open our eyes and our ears to hear from him. And he's talking to born again Christians. I mean, that's both humbling, right? Because you're like, dang, I thought we're good. I can look at the Bible and get it. But it's also super encouraging. Because if you struggle to understand God's word, if you struggle to value it as you should, it doesn't mean you're not God's kid. It means you need to ask for more help. And, and because Paul is praying these things from the Holy Spirit's desires for him to pray, we can count on God wanting to give us understanding and enlightenment through the Holy Spirit, which is great news. Number three, through the scriptures, God reveals his heart to us so that we might know him. Through the scriptures, God reveals his heart to us so that we might know him. Deuteronomy 8.3 He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know. 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Oh, how beautiful and how blessed are the deserts that God leads us into. Because there we find that we hunger and thirst for something so much more than food. There we cry out for real food. And there, little by little, day by day, struggle by struggle, sometimes slipping off rung by slipping off rung, God feeds from his word. And he teaches us, you can't live, you can't live by what this world has to offer. You can't make it. And we can only learn that oftentimes in the desert. And it's so painful, but it's such a gift. I know many of you are in a horrible, beautiful place. In some ways, the words of Tom and Tammy and Tanja and Andrew, you know, as a whole church, we can feel like that at times. But he's not done that to destroy us. He's done that to teach us and to feed us. That we can't live by what this world offers. And so, Lord, if it's the deserts we need, bring the deserts. And teach us that we need your word and your food. For God has decreed that we will live on truth. And as a good father, he will not settle for anything else but that his children live on truth. We all know what it's like to open the Bible and stare at words that feel dry to us. It can be tempting to want to devalue God's word because of our personal struggle to hear him speak to us in seasons. And sometimes in those seasons where we feel like his word is dry to us, we can long for something more exciting and more attractive and more exhilarating than his word. We can long to just run away from it and just spend time on the interwebs, Facebooking and interwebbing. But that would be like dismissing the value of true food because during a sickness you can't keep anything down. And so you pronounce a curse on all food for the rest of your life. You say, oh, the food is bad. No, you're sick. The food's fine. You've just got to get over something in you with God's help. And some folks claim to know God deeply enough that they don't need his word. And they disparage his scriptures while they claim to receive special revelations and visions that both contradict his word and push it to the side. Now, God can speak through other means. He can speak through impressions and visions and words of knowledge that he gives to people. I believe that. I've experienced that. But he is so careful to say in his word, do not neglect my word. He said to the Hebrews 2,000 years ago, and he says to us today, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard. 
And he's talking about Jesus Christ and his gospel message. He's not talking about some alternative, cool, amazing, fresh, new revelation. He is talking about the once and for all revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners and risen from the dead for their victorious life. And he is saying, you have to pay attention to this. You cannot drift away from this. If you drift away from this, you will prove yourselves to not be my children. And so to secure his children, he warns them. And through the spirit who lives in them, they are warned and they heed his warning and they run back to his word. And they hold on to Jesus Christ and who he is and his truth. But he's not playing around. He says, don't drift. Don't neglect my word. Don't drift from my gospel. See, Jesus does not put a wall between the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not put a a wall between the written word and our experience of God relationally. Just the opposite. In the upper room, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he tells the disciples that he would not leave them as orphans, but he would come to them. And how does he explain this coming to them? He explains that that he will introduce them to the Spirit. And what does he call the Spirit by which he will come to them? He calls it the Spirit of Truth. Who would teach them. Who would remind them of his words. Who would say the things to them that he wants to say. But they can't handle right now. But he will say those things to them. In the days and months and years to come. He would teach them truth they'd not even heard. He would tell them what is coming upon the world. He would essentially deliver to these apostles the New Testament. That's what Jesus is talking about. It has implications for us. Jesus is a teacher through his Holy Spirit to us. But in John, it has a specific specific application for these apostles. Because later on that night... He prays for all believers. And you can't miss this. He's praying for all believers throughout all of history. And he identifies these believers all throughout history as those people who would believe on account of the apostles' testimony. For all of history, all believers will believe on account of the written word of the apostles' testimony. Certainly after their death. And so for us, the Holy Spirit does come to keep us being, from being orphaned by God. And he does come to live inside us. But his agenda isn't to ignore all the truth that he poured into those apostles and all those prophets before. But to speak through them afresh what he's taught them. When I was in pastor's college, Jeff Perswell was a brilliant, wonderful guy. He said what I believe is one of the most, I love this phrase. It, it's just one of the most important truths about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And Jeff put it this way. This is worth writing down. The word gives expression to the voice of the spirit. The word of God gives expression to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The word of God gives expression to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so when we learn God's word, when we're we're reading, reading God's word, it's as if we're giving a song sheet to the Holy Spirit to sing into our hearts. When Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, he was led by the Holy Spirit there to be tempted by the greatest evil in the universe. What did the Spirit lead him to do? 
This is Jesus, the son of God. Every time he spoke, he created scripture. But in this most cataclysmic battle in the universe, what did the Holy Spirit lead the son of God to do? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Jesus continued to proceed to war with Satan, using only the word of God as handed down to him in the Old Testament. No wonder Paul calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive tool listed in God's armory in Ephesians 6, as Paul describes it. Yes, we block Satan's attack with the shield of faith and God's truth, but we stab at our enemy's heart when we find the very word of God to put his lies to flight. We must have God's word to know, to walk, to love God. And this is really so basic, right? Words are just so basic about what it means to know a person. It's no less true with God. It's so duh as to be deceptively simple. The whole idea of words When Jen and I were dating, our relationship began and progressed through actual words. Isn't that amazing? We don't mean that's how we got to know each other. I'd say these things to her. She'd say these things to me. And we, we, it was through those things we were saying, we started to like each other more and like each other even more. And then maybe like each other a little bit less one time, but then like each other even more through more and more and more and more words. The magic of words. Sure, the very front door of getting to know Jen was her beauty and her smile and and how I saw her serving others because I did like a champ. Look at her. My my, my friend Merritt, who's a pastor there, would say, Hey, look at Jen. She she gets water for them. Uh, What's the Bible word? (laughs) For those camels. She'll water your camels. It's like, great. I'll tell her that. Merit says you'll water my camels. Will you marry me, camel waterer? But, but seriously, the front door was the smile. The front door was the gorgeousness of my beautiful wife. Because she's beautiful. But on the inside, the rooms were all made of long talks and jokes. And hard conversations about our differences and hopes for our lives together. And yes, after four t- kids and tons of history, we, we don't have as much conversation maybe as we did on some of those nights. But if we go too long without talking, things just break down. We need words. If we don't get words, things break down. And sometimes if we had a rough conflict, we might need even others to help us. But the healing always involves, guess what? Words. When I first met the Lord, I was filled with uncertainty and fear. I had a glorious, joyous conversion experience. I talked about it last week, but, but soon after, I was filled with, with fear and uncertainty. It was like I got like one great day, and then he said, Into the desert we go! Covered with fear and discouragement. Intense warfare. Long, long time. Without way more than 40 days. 
not um, complaining. Lord, many people tried to help me in that season, and some of the help was helpful. Some of it was not so helpful. But in my fears and pain, I learned I had to flee to God's words in his Bible. Nothing could substitute for it. Nothing could come close to providing the security and firmness and foundation beneath my feet it offered me. I mean, somebody could come up to me and say, I love you. God loves you. It's going to be good. You're kind of a burden. Can I go home now? I mean, you know, they wouldn't say that last part, but that's what happens, right? We go through seasons where we're just that person. Go through years like that for me. And I come back to that right now probably for some of you. But, but the fact is, two hours of talk from, you know, a good friend would not compare to like 16 words in Isaiah 41.10. I just remember walking in the campus of William and Mary, so forlorn, and then I, I pull out the sticky note. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Whew, put it back. Five minutes later, pull it out again, read it again. Put it back. Five minutes later, pull it out, read it again. That's what a lot of my life was like for a long, long time. And so God gave me these words to know him through, to experience a relationship with him through. And though they were written 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit living inside me, made those words alive as if they had just been spoken in Williamsburg that afternoon. Listen to what God's own people say about his words and hear the work of the Spirit. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Now ask yourself a question. Do you think all that happened because they read some words on a scroll? No, they read some words on a scroll and someone acted in them to make those words life to them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That someone is the Holy Spirit. In a mysterious way we don't fully understand, he speaks the words of God. Thousands of years old. And makes them as fresh and nourishing as bread that just came out of the oven. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this of the Spirit. Those who have received the Holy Spirit are aware of a power dealing with them. And working in them, a disturbance, something, someone interfering in our lives. We're going along and suddenly we are arrested and pulled up and we find ourselves different. This is the beginning. That is always what happens when the Holy Ghost begins to work in a human being. There is disturbance, an interruption to the normal, ordinary tenor of life. There is something different, an awareness of being dealt with. I cannot put it better. That is the essence of the Holy Spirit dealing with us. Amen. That's clap worthy. We can do it. What are you going to do if you don't clap? No. Thank you, Melody, for the clapping. 
Now, I think Jones is talking about someone who's being brought to Christ, converted. They're being brought along. They're being courted by God. I don't know the exact context of that. I got it from Greer's book. So I don't know the, the larger context to what Jones was saying. But I really do believe that that, that that occurrence of this sense of being worked on, of this sense of power, it can happen without God's word. For me, when it does, I love it. But I, I feel like I eventually get taken oftentimes to a word to explain it to myself or to reinforce what's happened to me. I, because I, when we look for God in his word, when, when we with David store up his words in our heart that we might not sin against him, we are giving the Holy Spirit tools to deal with us. We're giving him more words to disturb us with. If I could put it so indelicately. The word gives expression to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when you give him words from scripture, you're giving him a song sheet to sing into your soul. Does that make sense? Monty's got it. As long as Monty's got it, we're okay. This season has been a weighty season. But I wonder how much more confusing and defeating would the last, even the last 24 hours have been for me if, if I hadn't had this word from God. You are my God and my times are in your hands. Maybe some of you guys don't need that kind of help, but man, I don't have the kind of power in myself to grab onto the emotional lift I need. To just say, things are fine. They'll be fine. I need God's word to tell me that my times are in his hands because he's my God. And the spirit activates in that. Or another word, how I have needed this for my whole life, but especially in the last few months. Who can discern his error? Oh, Lord, who can discern his error? Forgive my hidden faults. And now the condemnation I feel for things I'm I'm not even sure how to locate. I'm not fully aware of. But suddenly because of God's word, they become powerless before his ability to forgive. Even what I can't see. And I'm able to get off the floor and have hope. I love John Piper's illustration for how the word and the spirit work. We have the quote up here. The connection between the Holy Spirit and you is the word of God and faith. They're like socket and plug. I've said this before, but it's, it's good to repeat. When the plug of your faith goes into the socket of God's word, the spirit is flowing. There is more to the Holy Spirit's work in us than only the word of God. But whatever the work is in us, it always conforms. It always works alongside the word of God. And if we're going to be a spirit-led church... We must be a church that recognizes that we will not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Very quickly, some final questions for us. Do you see the word of God as a means for the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? Really the whole point of this message. Do you see the word of God as a means for the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? I felt like the Holy Spirit this morning helped me orchestrate this question to remind you this. If you're looking at the word of God as a duty, it's harder to do that duty. If you're looking at the word of God... As a way for God's spirit to speak to you. 
and expecting God's Spirit to speak to you, you're much more eager to come before Him. If you're looking at a quiet time to check off, it can be drudgery. It can be legalistic. If you're looking for a means by which to get a message today from the one who lives inside you, to guide you, to be your very life, it kind of makes it more attractive to venture into God's word, doesn't it? So see the word of God as a means for the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number two, do you ask God to speak to you through his spirit, through his word? Do you expect him to speak to you? Do you ask and expect? James tells us we have not because we ask not, i.e. ask. David prays, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. That was probably in some of David's better years he had to ask that. I'm just guessing, but I think it probably was. If David in his better years had to say, God, open my eyes. If James is saying, ask, what are we doing not asking? I'm speaking to myself. Slumbering in my quiet time, open my Bible. You better speak to me, Burke. Do some respectful asking from your papa. We have ample reason from the word itself to ask for the Spirit's help when we come to it. Number three, can you have a simple, accessible plan to feed on God's word. For a long time, I started my devotional with Psalm 32 or Psalm 33. I think I did it for four years. Every day when I had a quiet time, Psalm 32 or Psalm 33. And then I just went to a chapter of a book, like John or Galatians. That was it. I'll tell you what. It wasn't the most elaborate, well-thought-out quiet time plan. But boy, did God feed me. And it was much easier because I had a plan. And I had a simple plan. Relatedly, do the books you look at point you to God's word. Many of us love to read Christian authors like Greer. What I love about these authors like John Piper, Jerry Bridges, R.C. Sproul, is they're Bible teachers. They're always excited to take you to God's word. If you're going to spend time with authors outside of God's word, take a look at those authors and ask, are they taking me to God's word? Because that can be just great. Just great. Finally, is the word made flesh close to your heart and mind? Coming back full circle to Galatians. There's no word we must stay closer to than the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. We can't make hearing God's word even our salvation. We can't make staying in the word and hearing him well our righteousness. It always has to come back to Jesus, you are my righteousness. Jesus, you are my forgiveness. Jesus, I am yours. I'm not doing this to earn it. I'm not doing this to to perform so I can get a relationship with you. No, you, you, you have called me your child by virtue of your blood and by virtue of your resurrection, you live inside me. So is the word made flesh close to your heart and mind?